Star Wars 7x7, episode 1344. All right, we've been talking about Rebel stuff, but we're actually going to switch gears today. And we're going to talk about the last Jedi novelization with Nick Martorelli from Penguin Random House Audio. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Trisha Barr, author of Ultimate Star Wars and host of Fangirls Going Rogue. And you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod. And we've had Nick Martorelli on the show once before. We had initially started talking about From a Certain Point of View, which was the collection of 40 short stories that told the story of Star Wars from the points of view of a bunch of secondary characters. And that was in honor of Star Wars' 40th anniversary. And that conversation then digressed into stuff about the radio dramas and whatnot. So I tried to keep the digressions to a minimum this time around, but there's kind of no avoiding them in a way. And as I believe I say in the interview, but I'll have to double check myself, the interview was supposed to happen on a particular Friday, but I was traveling and Nick was on a different connection than he normally was. And so we kind of got halfway through the interview, but it kept dropping out on Skype on us. So I kind of knew half of the answers to the questions I asked when we did the re-recording of this interview a few days later. As a result, there's kind of a wink and a nod to the asking of the questions in a way, but I think you will enjoy it all the same. So you know what? I'm just going to get into it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nick Martorelli, the executive producer of the audio version of The Last Jedi novelization. And be sure to stick around after the break because we've got one last bit of congratulations to share. Nick Martorelli, thank you so much for joining me on Star Wars 7x7 again. How are you? I am doing great, Alan. It is fun to be back. It's fun to have you back, and I will fully disclose to the audience, this is going to be an interesting conversation for more than one reason, because we tried to have this conversation on Friday, but bad internet slash Skype connections forced us to reschedule it, so I kind of halfway know the answers to the questions I'm asking, and so I'm going to ask them knowing that the phrasing of them is going to be a little odd, considering that I know what the answers are, so this is going to be interesting, and Nick has already given me some answers so now you've had time to think them over a little bit it's true it's true but i make no claim that they're going to be uh, better or worse than they were on friday fair enough fair enough that's all we can ask all right so we are talking about the last jedi novelization by jason fry and the move to uh, make it an audiobook and here's the thing that i wanted to start off by asking you again and i know the answer to this one already but i'm going to ask it this way anyway um I know how audio production works, at least on some level from a timeline perspective. So my understanding would have been that you would have received a copy of the novelization before the premiere of The Last Jedi in theaters. And in theory, you would have read through it and made whatever changes you needed to make, markups and uh, annotations and all the fun stuff that you do to prepare it for narration. So... What was it like to walk around with the secrets of The Last Jedi in your head or did you? <laughs> so uh, because the timing, the book's not coming out until March, we actually did not need to start working on this book until we saw the film. Yeah. We had, we had early drafts of the script, of the book rather, before the movie came out. And I had them. They were sitting there on my desktop. I could have double-clicked on it and read the whole thing. <laughs> 
But we are all such fans working on these projects that we all talked about it. The director and the narrator and I all talked about it and we're like, we think we can crash this. We think we can crash this schedule enough that we can all go see the movie on Friday when it comes out and then read the book on Saturday and we'll have enough time in the process because we know we didn't want to be spoiled on it. Right. And, and actually, um, I didn't, when I was going through it in order to send it out to them and, you know, put their name on the watermark in order to make sure that the watermark worked, I scrolled through some of the pages and I saw just one sentence and I was like, Nope, I've already seen too much. I don't want to know anymore. I don't want anymore before the movie. So I was like, close it, close it. It worked. It worked. Send it off. Send it off. And then we all didn't open it until we saw the movie. And as I recall from our our garbled conversation on Friday of last week, uh, the movie came out on Friday the 15th, and you guys had the book ready by the following Wednesday, I think. Is that right? Correct. We, uh, we saw the movie Friday, and then the first day of recording was Wednesday of the following week. Oh my gosh, that is so <laughs> fast. And it was it was fast, but it was furious, and it was the sort of thing that we were able to know going ahead of time that we would only have a couple days to prepare because of the way we wanted to prioritize this. So it was good knowing that work was coming up because we could set aside time over the weekend to read it and be ready by Wednesday. Exactly. And it probably helps too that the team that you're working with, the director, Kevin, I'm sorry, what's Kevin's last name? Uh, Kevin Thompson. Kevin Thompson, thank you. And um, and it was Mark Thompson. No relation, I presume? No relation, no. <laughs> um, that we're working on this. And you guys have worked on a number of books together, so I imagine there's a familiarity with your working relationship where this sort of situation, like you guys would especially be able to handle it because you've already worked together a lot and you know how each other works well enough, right? Exactly. And we're also working on the novelization of a film. So once we've all seen the movie, now we're reading those scenes and it's even easier for us to pin, oh, right, it's that guy, it's this sequence, as opposed to if we had been reading it in a vacuum and then gone to see the movie, that preparation could have sort of flowed back and forth in a different way. But because we were absolutely trying to put the movie in an audiobook seeing the movie first and then preparing the books sort of is the logical way to do that one. Got it. So then when things come up, like, for example, the fact that deleted scenes are going to be in the novelization, you obviously saw the movie before you read the novelization. So what is the experience like of suddenly getting access to these deleted scenes? And without revealing any of the deleted scenes for us, I know we need to wait until March 6th until that happens, but what is it like to then come across these other scenes and go, oh my gosh, like that could have been in the movie? Like, what's that like for you? It's wild because it reminded me very much of reading movie novelizations when I was a kid. You know, that, uh, that Biggs and Luke scene on Tatooine where you're reading through the novelization of this movie and you start to think, it's like, okay, wait a second. Was this filmed and cut from the film or was this never filmed and it was just like a note somewhere that Jason Fry expanded into a scene in the book and things like that. So it's this cool element that actually brings me back to what these books used to be like, especially when I was a kid. And all we had was, you know, the Star Wars trading cards, the novelization of the Marvel comic, and that was it. Right. Mm-hmm. So were there was there anything there that, you know, when you're reading it, do you think to yourself, 
oh, I saw that in the movie and then suddenly have to realize that, oh, wait, no, I didn't see that in the movie because there are a lot of people who believe in their heart of hearts that they saw the Luke and Biggs scene on the big screen. Like, there are people who are absolutely convinced of it. And I think, you know, study after study and research after research has been proven that that version or a version with that never made it into movie theaters. So there's this weird experience where people seem to think they've seen it when they haven't. Like, are you having any of that experience with The Last Jedi? Not so much with The Last Jedi, because I think those experiences were so closely back to back for us. It's like, it's very easy to sort of be like, oh no, that was there, that was not there. And then we dug into it. And part of the work was, as Mark was narrating it, part of the conversation always was like, oh, this was in there, that wasn't in there. Like, there's a very palpable sense of what was and was not. So it's not that sort of like, oh, I'm, I swear that line was in the film, but it wasn't, or that's how it was read in the film, but it wasn't, because they were so, there was not as much time for our memory to play tricks on each other. Right, okay, got it. So then what is it like to see the movie after you then do the recording of the audiobook because that then must be a whole other experience entirely. Assuming that you've seen the movie more than once, that is. That's an interesting question. I actually haven't seen this movie more than once. <gasps> uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, right? But <laughs> like there is there is a certain part of it too where I think of it as we're making complementary products, but not replicated products. So there is a sense where it's like we're making a book, we're making the audio version of a book that ties in with the film and mirrors it and sort of proceeds on a parallel track. But for us to be too closely adapting the film doesn't give the book the due that it's worth. So I feel like it was that one viewing to sort of set it and get it in and and build the base from which we're going to work. But now we're working on the other product. So we have to dig in on this other side of things because we don't have the pacing of the movie. We don't have the, the um, all of the music, all the sounds, all of the actors. So like we're building our own thing over on the side. So you sort of want to let the movie inspire the work you're doing, but not be too like, wait, rewind the tape. Let's go back to, let's, all right, I don't know what they did here. Let's go see the movie again, guys. Come on, let's get it exactly <laughs> right. You know, and that's part of the creativity that, we want out of Mark and Kevin in these programs where it's like Mark's going to play characters that aren't necessarily in the film or Mark's going to play characters that have far more lines, far more many lines in the book than they do in the movie. And we want his truth of the performance as well as the connection to Luke Skywalker that he makes with Mark Hamill, like that sort of performance. See, and I find that a really awesome answer, especially in light of how now that they've rebooted the canon Lucasfilm has, they are talking about how they can get around the idea of continuity within the canon and how there had been problems with Legends and the Expanded Universe where, you know, maybe some things didn't mesh with others because, you know, you've got decades worth of material and how do you make sure that everything lines up with everything else and there aren't things that conflict with each other. And they've sort of introduced this idea of you know, being able to tell stories in universe in a way that it's more about people's perspective. And so you're not telling one factual news story. And so maybe the new the, the movie itself 
is you know one telling of the story but then the novel is another telling of the story and maybe both are true from a certain point of view wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> but not but both of them are not necessarily to be taken as the gospel truth and therefore you can't point at one versus the other and say well it happened differently in the book than in the movie and so something's wrong here and you know the world is going to go flying off into a spinning fireball of death or something like that and the book just by its very nature lets us expand on the film you know you get to you're going to get to chapter three in the book before you pick up the movie before it actually connects so there's you know a prologue and then two entire chapters before the movie begins in a sense wow there is all of this expansion this backstory and and then we tick and then we uh we click in with poe and his starfighter so there is this expansion to it where you think we have to honor the pieces that aren't in the movie just as strongly as we honor the pieces that are in the movie so to honor the things that are on the screen more heavily throws the book out of whack Mm -hmm. because then you would be listening to the audiobook thinking okay when are they going to get back to the film but if you (laughs) want to see the film the film exists we're the audio like the, it's all of these. It's it's the fun of the it's the fun of the world because there are all of these different versions of the product. So you can, if you want to see the special effects, you go to the movie. And the book has more tracking the characters as they make decisions necessarily because the film can't get into their heads as they're doing it in the way the book can. Right, right. So maybe you can validate a theory for me and you can probably do it with a one a simple yes or no thing <laughs> but as i've been watching the last jedi it occurs to me that we've been told that it picks up immediately after the force awakens and that's certainly the case with the scenes with ray and luke because the first time we see them in the last jedi it's the same exact scene but with the evacuation of the resistance base on dakar they're already well into the evacuation when the first order shows up and i'm thinking that there must have been some time that passed between the end of The Force Awakens when we see Rey take off and when we see the Resistance base at the beginning of The Last Jedi with the evacuation already in progress and that it can't have been, um, I don't know, unless, of course, we're talking about hyperspace acting at the speed of plot, as Pablo Hidalgo likes to quote um, J. Michael Straczynski about, and that the Resistance was already in the middle of the evacuation for all the time that it took Rey to go through hyperspace to get to Act 2. I'm talking myself into a circle here. Ultimately, I'm looking to find out if the first two chapters have to deal with something on the resistance base in Dakar. That's <laughs> where I'm going with it. Um, um, I, I would say definitely yes. Okay. And there's also an element, too, where the beginning of The Last Jedi has echoes to the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back, of course, with fleeing the base. And so, but, the, but Empire, of course, starts out on the base, and then they have to flee. And that's sort of the pattern of the book, that there are there is stuff that happens before they have to actually enact the evacuation. There's also a prologue to the book that when I started reading it, I got about into the third or fourth paragraph and a character was mentioned and it blew my mind, absolutely blew my mind that this character was in the novelization. And I was so fascinated to see what was about to happen. And then it just sort of, puffs away and the prologue ends with uh, with Luke where we imagine him to be on Octo 
But up until then, I was just like, I'm sorry, what's going on? What are they doing? <laughs> and I thought that was, it's a fascinating hook, I think, for the book itself. Awesome. There's no way the movie could have started in the same way, and it had the feel of a Star Wars movie, I don't think. So I don't think this was ever in the script, but I have no idea. But oh my God, if it were, it'd be incredible. Well, that is super intriguing. I cannot wait to find out what that is. And I, I, I know the last time we were together, we talked about the Star Wars radio show. Yeah. And uh, that is uh, a possible connection to what's going on. Hmm. Okay. Ah, very interesting. Ah, and I got a flag too. You just said Octo, and one of the things that I know you have to do as part of your work is just is verify the pronunciations of things, which we have a little fun with that on the show here because <laughs> I know I'm constantly mispronouncing things in places. So uh, that is the correct pronunciation then. Octo, not Octu, as I've been saying, correct? I think so. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm inclined to believe you be than myself. You. I think it's Octo. Well, I. I yeah, I would definitely be more inclined to believe you than I would believe myself in this particular instance because you're really having to do the hard research on this well, one. And you bring that up, and of course, the book is going to be even the book is going to have even more words than are in the film because characters whose names are written in the film or species or planets, we're we have to say them all. We can't just get away with you know. Let's just call her Major, and so we don't have to know how to pronounce her last name. But we have exhaustive lists of aliens and pronunciation and technology and just something as simple as like what do we call these droids mm -hmm. how do how much of their names do we spell out how much of their names do we sort of say as a word and um so it's all of our pronunciation lists are always exhaustive about the the major and minor things all throughout the star wars that must make things so much more complicated for you know, the likes of Mark Thompson or you know Jonathan Davis or January Lavoie or, her, or whoever's doing this, but that must add such an, an interesting degree of difficulty for them. It's the same as if you were reading a historical book maybe set in Germany and there's a lot of German names that you're not super familiar with. So mm -hmm. you know, through and you have this, you have a grid and you have a list of and you know that because you know you have to pronounce them well, but not stop and over articulate the <laughs> names of these planets. Because you know, I know how to pronounce Tatooine, you know, like you have to let it roll off the tongue in, in regular conversation. And I think that's something amazing about Star Wars is that, you know, you referenced hyperdrive earlier. and We can talk about lightsabers and just as if these are words, these are things that we all know what they are. We, you know, we can talk about hyperspace and uh, thermal detonators as easily as we can talk about actual technology like stereos. Right. Yeah, it is. It's, it is really amazing how well it comes to life for us and also just how well folks like Mark bring it to life in the novelization, in his narration. So it, clearly we know Mark Thompson is doing the, narr the narration for this. Correct. Um, what particular strengths would you say he brings to the table that make him very well suited to tell the story of The Last Jedi? I think Mark has a gift for the uh, the impersonations that he does. And they're not impersonations either. They are playing the characters in the same way that the actors we know play them. You know, he's not imitating Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker as much as he's giving the same performance as Luke Skywalker that Mark Hamill gives. 
and I think that's a real that's a real talent for someone to have, especially him. Yeah, and, that's interesting to wrap your head around. Just you know, he is not, you know, he's not imitating Luke Skywalker. He's not imitating Mark Hamill, but he's trying to imagine. As I'm as I'm hearing it from you, he's trying to imagine what it's like to perform that character just as if he were Mark Hamill himself doing it. It's, there's a there's a deeper level to the embodiment of the performance that he's going for. It sounds like. Yes, because you know you can. There are a lot of people who can do good Simpsons voices when they're saying the lines from the show. Right. If you ask them to say a new line as Homer, it's not as convincing because what they're doing is they're, they're replicating Dan Castellaneta's voice as opposed to playing the role. Mm -hmm. And Mark is really good about playing all of these different parts in the same vein, which is important for a audiobook because Luke's going to have a lot more lines in this book than he does in the film. Mm. Now, Han Solo had more lines in Force Awakens than he did in the audiobook than he did in the film. So right. Mark's going to have to create the performance beats that Harrison Ford never did, but still perform them as Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, and he's really good at that. Yeah, that is a, a tall order. And not just that, but he has to play it it's almost a cast of thousands, as they used to say, with those like giant movies in the fifties and whatnot. Like every audiobook is essentially, you know, one guy or one gal performing a cast of thousands situation. And in a Star Wars case, hundreds of those thousands are aliens. Right. So there's even more variance variation in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it is absolutely amazing. And I I don't know. I assume there must be somewhere that there are videos of snippets of your narrators working on performances like this. Like, does something like that exist anywhere? I know there is a video of Mark giving advice on how to talk like Chewbacca. Okay. Um, and that's one. That's a specific one that I remember. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, he's giving like the full range of Wookiee emotions, and he's teaching you how to how to do the voices, do the voice of Chewbacca rather. Got it. Because I, I recall from our last conversation, you were telling me about uh, Mark talking to himself. And I feel like that's a video that I would just absolutely love to see. Just snippets of him like talking to himself in between takes and hearing you know, the modulations on the characters that he's narrating. It's really great to hear him. To hear him bring these people to life and have, real con have conversations in real time, no less. Mm -hmm. It's not... Okay, go through and do all of Yoda's dialogue. Okay, now that you've got that voice, switch over to Obi-Wan and go through and do all of Obi-Wan. He'll just ping back and forth in the room and have them talk to each other. That is astonishing. Um, I don't suppose you guys ever publish bloopers either, do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we don't. But that's an interesting <laughs> idea. <laughs> I don't know. That might be fun someday. <laughs> Especially bloopers of animated movies where, like, the wrong voice comes out of the wrong character or he gets confused and mm -hmm. three PO's lines as Yoda, you know, something like that. Right, exactly. That would I think that would be fun to see, and even for audiobook narration too. I think that would be fun. But uh, maybe that's just me. Um, all right, back on track. I know I I said we I said no rabbit holes. Sorry, I can't help it. Uh, it's just so fun to do that with you. So. What I wanted to know last was based on Mark's narration and his performance. Is there any particular character that uh, you gained a deeper, greater appreciation for, or you know, any particular aspect of the story that 
resonated with you even more deeply based on Mark's performance? One of the things I think that Mark does in the performance is he brings out something that Jason does in the book because there's so much space to give to the characters around the heroes, so to speak, like Mm -hmm. the majors on the resistance base or the captains of the Imperial fleet. Like they just have a little bit more air to breathe. And so you learn a little bit more about like the average worker in the resistance, which is interesting to me in a way that the movie just doesn't have time for the movies here. You know, we're here for Poe and Leia and, and Rose and Finn and all these people. But the book has time to sort of like, no, 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 let's get a little tiny moment here. Let's get a little moment here. Um, let's meet uh, Rose's sister, Paige. Let's sort of have a beat where we can take a breath and then launch into the movie moments. And I feel like that's something that the book and Mark sort of bring out really, really well. That's fun. So if I'm if I'm hearing that right, it almost sounds as if when we're watching the movie, you know, obviously a lot of times it's in media res, like we jump in right where we need to jump in. But the book itself is actually giving us, you know, the two minutes, ten minutes prior to us arriving in a scene in the movie and maybe, you know, two, three, five, ten minutes, you know, roughly if it were actually in screen time of what happens, you know, everybody in the movie is leaving the scene, but we actually get to see what happens in those moments after they decide to, you know, cut off to the next scene. Is that basically you know, a, a very rough way of putting it? Yeah, there are moments like that. And there are also moments where, you know, General Hux is talking to the guy on the bridge in the very beginning, but we're inside his head. So Hux says something and then the general gets to the, the or the admiral gets to reflect on it a little bit and think and we learn what he thinks about Hux and then he says his line from the film and we sort of keep moving on but there's that just that just that little extra air to get people's reactions to each other in a way in the subtext that we don't get on film so that is going to be a tremendous amount of fun I'm sure and fascinating to beat the band um and I think that is as much as I'm going to pin you down for in this because, of course, we're having this conversation on February 21st. The novelization doesn't come out until March 6th, and I know a lot of it is still under wraps. So uh, before I continue to try to ask you questions like asking you what the first two chapters of the book are about, <laughs> um, I, I think we will stop here. And uh, for the listeners, after the break, I will give all of the pertinent details for you to find Nick online on Twitter and also Penguin Random House Audio's information all that as well so stick around after the break for that and a couple other last details but in the meantime I just want to say Nick Martarelli thank you again so much for taking the time out of your schedule to chat with me I really appreciate it and once again it's it's a great time talking with you so (laughs) thanks for that as well. Thank you it was a pleasure to be here again. Hey Rebel Rouser, 
No sponsor on this episode today, so I just have a favor to ask instead. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a review for Star Wars 7x7 on your favorite podcast app. Not just a star rating, although I will say we are personally very proud of our near-unanimous five-star rating on iTunes. No, I just mean a thoughtful sentence or two about what you like about the podcast, or how happy you are that it's part of your daily routine. And more reviews means better visibility, which means more people get to share in a daily dose of Star Wars joy, and you want that, don't you? Of course you do, so please leave a review on your favorite podcast app today. I thank you, and the Star Wars 7x7 podcast thanks you. Welcome back. So the website for Penguin Random House Audio is, very surprisingly, penguinrandomhouseaudio.com. Not really surprisingly at all. And they are PRH Audio on Twitter. And you can also find Nick on Twitter at Nick Martorelli. That's M-A-R-T-O-R-E-L-L-I. It helps if you remember it by saying it with a very Italian pronunciation. Nick Martorelli. All right. <laughs> That's a bit of an inside joke because the first time I interviewed him, for some reason, the moment I was starting up the interview, I mispronounced his name like three or four times and had to pretend I was saying it in Italian. You can kind of hear it in my voice a little bit in the version that finally made it to air. All right, time to talk about congratulations. So yesterday, March 8th, was Jedi Day. It was the day that Mark Hamill received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And to honor the occasion, George Lucas and Harrison Ford were both on hand to give some remarks and share congratulations and whatnot. So, yeah, rather a big deal. And I have to say, Mark Hamill is probably, you know, for all the stuff that I've seen and heard about him, one of the nicest folks you could ever meet and absolutely generous with his time, with his wisdom, with his kind words. Honestly, If you wanted somebody to be Luke Skywalker and represent that particular face of the franchise, I don't think you or I could have hoped for a better person than Mark Hamill to portray that character. And of course, you know, he's Luke to us, but he is a lot of other things to a lot of other fandoms, including being the voice of the Joker on the Batman cartoons, being the trickster in the Flash TV series. And I'm just picking, you know, the obvious fandom things. But he has been a wonderful supporter, not just of the franchises in which he's involved, but also of the fans that love and care about those franchises too. So congratulations to Mark Hamill on getting that well-deserved star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And that, my friends, is going to do it for the podcast today. So I had previously talked about the fact that we would touch on the epilogue for Rebels and also talk about Captain Rex. And we will do those episodes over the weekend. Saturday, we'll do the epilogue. And Sunday, we'll talk about Rex and that guy Nick Sant from Return of the Jedi and where we really stand on that whole business. But for now, though, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for listening. And may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you go jumping out skyscraper windows, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And please support the podcast by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a shapeshifter, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.